Hi, and welcome back to the East German Fashion History Podcast. Today, we'll be exploring the second half of our dialogue between fashion and architecture in the German Democratic Republic. Now, before we delve into anything, I'd like to give a very special thank you, danke, to Shane Whaley and Anke Holst, team behind the Radio GDR podcast. And I highly encourage all of you to check it out. P.S. It's an English-speaking podcast. It's the first and one of the only besides this one to really focus on the life and times of former East Germany. They bring on fabulous guest interviews and really inspire some fascinating conversations, share there's a lot of personal histories and expose some really cool micro histories and stories all related to the former East Germany. You can check them out on Facebook at Radio GDR, The Life and Times of East Germany. And like this podcast, Radio GDR has no political inclinations or leanings. So if you like this one, you'll love them. And they're available on Apple iTunes and Spotify. Also, please make sure to check out the episode description for today on Monday, where you'll find a link to all the images I'm going to be talking about. Let's get on with the show. We have a lot to cover. So I'm going to start with a little summary of what we talked about last week. Diving in. So we have the SED, the Sozialistische Einheitspartei, or simply the German Communist Party, that really they really sought to prove that the GDR was the true Germany and this naturally ruled out any cultural embrace of international style such as the Bauhaus. It was considered it was form without ornament and the party professed that the art, architecture and design of the GDR should recall upon past German styles in a way that served the workers and the farmers. The motto was socialist in content, nationalist in form. The idea was to imitate styles like Rococo and Baroque in a way that gave that cultural heritage back to the workers and the farmers and the people. Even now with the Bauhaus, even though it originated in Dessau, an East German city, many Bauhauslers emigrated to the States during World War II, and that aesthetic became widely adopted in America and throughout Western capitalist countries. And it was the modernists influenced by the Bauhaus that used that style to build American embassies around the world. See the political political connection there? And that style naturally became widely associated with Western capitalist countries. Meanwhile, SED party leader Walter Ulbricht who helped play a leading role in the establishment of the GDR, had a strong disdain for the modernist-looking boxed homes in Western cities like Hamburg, Stuttgart, and Frankfurt am Main, and saw them as, quote, West Germany's role as an American protectorate. He preferred the historicized, historicized styles like we'd spoken of and wanted to return them to the people. Now, this idea wouldn't sustain itself. Um, it was expensive and useless, and there was a housing crisis that was going on. Because, mind you, post-war East Germany, that nation was still coming out of a war. A lot of it had been desecrated. 
A lot of cities were destroyed. And even the most basic existential needs、um, were hard to come by. Enter the GDR's quest for a national architectural style functionalism, which was defined as a basis of an object's beauty is practical in its function because they needed that. because... Wow, did they have a lot to fix. So, due to, due to this acute housing crisis, Ulbricht had promised to build 100,000 apartments by 1959. And that worked, that was wildly successful, and upped that into 750,000 150, apartments by 1965. These prefabricated homes were made by large concrete slabs, commonly referred to as Plattbauten. Now, these were supposed to be, quote, machines for living, scientifically calculated with solutions of how much space the average family would need. And what do these homes need? Well, furniture. So, you know, Ulbricht's dreams of gaudy historical throwbacks are obviously going to be out because how are you going to fit that in there? And it was actually Bauhauslers like Selman Selmanak and Franz Ehrlich that worked and lived in East Germany throughout all of this with Mart Stamm, who we mentioned last week's episode, the previous episode. And they really designed space saving furniture for these living quarters. And we even see that in a July 1961 issue of. Praktische Mode. Mind you, July 1961 is literally a month before the Berlin Wall goes up. So, in this issue, they talk about the ideal East German household and they say that、um, it's called, the article is called Mit modernen Regalen wohnen, living with modern shelf spaces. It shows mid,、uh, sleek functionalist shelving units advising on the best kind of spaces are wide open. But if you don't have that, then these shelving units are going to do the trick. And it also talks about Murphy beds, and especially price and practicality were, were central. So for today's episode, we're going to look at a few things. First, Socialist realism and the quest for a national architectural style. Secondly, fashion photography, a platform for celebrating GDR's sense of urbanity. Thirdly, fashion architecture and dialogue. And then last, I did a little bit of an exercise and I challenge y'all to do it as well this weekend. So it's a fashion architecture, looking at things, comparing things kind of thing. Something your art history professor must have recommended to you like a thousand times. So, what is socialist? So, we're going to talk about socialist modernism. What is it? It's an approach to architecture typical of former, typical of former socialist countries between 1990, 1955 and 1991. So, by 1955, backstory,、um, Nikita Khrushchev had met with the Central Committee of the USSR Communist Party and they decided to abandon all, quote, useless stylistic elements. And this was really what catapulted Stalinist architecture into socialist realist architecture. 
and you would see that all over the East Bloc and in, and in parts and in East Germany. Now, while West Germany was welcoming modern design from the beginning, the GDR has started to show their own version of it, which was considered functionalism. Now, functionalism was used in the West. While formalism was used in the West, functionalism was used in the East. And functionalism can be seen as a a style or a vein of socialist, modernist architecture. Now, what does that, what are some of the characteristics? Well, socialist modernism is definitely an approach that you would find all over these countries. And it was really influenced by space, travel, and technology. You also have a subset, which you've probably heard of, brutalism in the mid-1960s, which was big all, big all up until the 1980s. And you, there are some great brutalist structures in East Germany. It's really concerned with the idea of seeing materials for what they are. So the woodiness of the wood, the sandiness of the sand. Texture is a huge component. Characteristics. So... They're all pretty succinctly outlined. So for residential developments, developments, you usually had bar or tower-shaped structures with small windows and have limited stylistic elements and are really defined by the shape. You'll also find a lot of balconies um, with often vertical or curved elements, full metal or glass balustrades, and asymmetrical alternate placements of perforated panels or mosaics. I know that's a mouthful and that's a lot of alliteration. So my apologies. And here's the, so there's, there's a couple good examples and I highly recommend if you want a good book on socialist modernist architecture in Germanism on in Germany, I would pick up socialist modernism in Germany. It's about $50. Um, it's brought on by Baku, which is a, a nonprofit that focuses on the preservation of socialist modernism throughout former East Bloc countries. And that's where I got most of my research. So we're going to go through some examples. We're going to go through an example of what a residential development would look like. For an example, um, you would, what's typical is you'd have these long tower shapes, um, many stories. So there's one example of a 14 story housing complex that's rather Y shaped. And this is really, if you look at the building itself, it has this very exposed, sandy, textural, concrete element that is all over the building. And it's colored in this dark gray as well as brown. So it's, it's a little grim looking. And this is, an, this is one example, but there's other examples where you'll find these really beautiful prismatic mosaics. And it was these mosaics that really provided the color and the vibrance within this, this cityscape of gray housing developments. Now in cultural places, which were also very important, one would find a lot of full walls, often decorated with mosaic panels with vertical and concrete elements. One example, which we'll talk about later in the episode, a Cosmos Kino in Berlin, 
It's a kino, it means movie theater, um, and it's known for its smooth facade and has a combination of straight or curved surfaces. And um, it's, it's really kind of interesting because it's very bar shaped and then the second half of it is, has a cylindr- cylindrical form. Now for educational institutions, what you would find typical of socialist modernist architecture is you'd have a different ground floor plan. There would usually be two to three second or third floors. There would be a level made with porticos and large glazed areas and facades decorated with vertical concrete panels or metal elements with sculptural or metal insertions. For transportation and telecommunication buildings, you have a very diverse form of shapes, variety of shapes. And for administrative and transportation buildings, these are usually larger in size, inspired by pre-World War II modernism and a little bit of post-war international architecture. And these have massive shapes and glazed surfaces. And you've probably seen this if you've seen most or many, many, many dystopian sci-fi movies will feature a lot of this East Block style architecture, specifically these like administrative and transportation buildings. There in the book I'm referencing, um, there's a really beautiful building. It's called Haus des Lehrers or House of the Teacher, erected in 1964. It's a very tall glass panel building, very straightforward with its design and and very functionalist at that. There aren't that many elements. There isn't even any, there aren't any, any balconies or anything, but it does have a, a, a full prismatic mural that just wraps around the entirety of it. Another great example is, and this one's beautiful, it's the Stadthalle in Chemnitz or the Chemnitz Town Hall. FYI, Chemnitz in East Germany was formerly known as Karl Marx City. And this is covered with these kind of curvilinear, polygonal concrete precast elements. And they kind of look like a tessellation or a puzzle that fits into into one another. So definitely Google or look up um, Stadthalle Chemnitz. For shops and service areas, these are generally wide open spaces with large glazed surfaces, not that many windows. And there's a lot of great examples of um, clothing store garment centers or large department stores. And um, it'll have these, you know, beautiful geometric patterns, not that many windows, but kind of large and bar shaped. And just just to note, so a lot of these in many German cities and municipalities in the East today, a lot of these buildings are being demolished or left to decay, which is quite sad. And often these are, you know, residential, administrative restaurants or service facilities. And like I'd mentioned about this book, um, Sozialistische Moderne in Deutschland or Socialist Modernism in Germany, brought on by Baku, B-A-C-U. Um, they are a nonprofit and they really do some amazing work to preserve or, you know, at least conserve to the best of their abilities some of these decrepit buildings. Now fashion architecture a dialogue so we're going to really dive right into the fact that a lot of editorials and fashion imagery throughout the gdr feature architecture very prominently 
and it has naturally it has a very special spot. So let's look at a few. So Sibylla's Fall 1962 issue featured um, an editorial photograph by Arno Fischer. And it was called Herbs Mode in Berlin, Fall Fashion Berlin, with the subcaption, quote, pattern coats with large pockets, loose belt and dropped sleeves. Very direct. So the cover image features a model in a herringbone knit oversized coat with generous pockets and a self-tie belt, and she's wearing black gloves. Her hair is blowing in the wind as she walks away from this large industrial structure with various scaffoldings. And the, the choice of that building is quite evident because the graphic herringbone pattern really complements the intricate geometric patterns from the industrial structure behind her. The, get, the editorial goes on to show pictures of women in standard fall suit skirts and coats within the Berlin streetscape. So getting off streetcars, walking in the rain. There's even one of a model shown posing in front of a what looks like a Prussian sort of eagle heraldic crest. And they all really evoke images of confidence, independence, and ultimately a practical sense of modernity, but in real time. And there's nothing really striking about the coats and the outfit's features. What's really impactful is their surroundings. It's these large industrial complexes, heraldic crests, a streetscape near an apartment building, and with building near an apartment building with a street cleaner. So you're wondering like, what's the story there? And it's almost as if the clothes provide the backdrop to more storied backgrounds. Now the editorial comes at a time where they offer, the editorial comes at a time where it's a little over a year of the Berlin Wall being erected. So this is really, this is really where the GDR is defining itself as its own urbane East Berlin, Berlin city. The idea of taking fashion to the streets, a concept which is all too common now, was quite novel for the early 60s. And it was Arno Fischer, the photographer who was credited for this straightforward photojournalistic style that is really in the moment and was definitely of the moment for that era. Sidebar. Now, it's not like Arno Fischer, Dorothea Melles, and a lot of other of the Sibylla staff were cut off from the West. They often used L and a lot of West, Western capitalist magazines for inspiration. So they're kind of, they're definitely in conversation with each other because you'll see this style of street style photography happening in the 60s and in the 70s in a lot of the Vogue's of America and Paris and the Brigitte of Germany, of West Germany. Sorry for that. In another editorial uh, called Industriestadt Bitterfeld from 1962, um, this series portrayed everyday workers and people and models like by this chemical plant. And Bitterfeld is a large city in, Germ in, East Germ in former East Germany. And it was also one of the most polluted ones after the wall came down because it, it was a chemical plant showing 
And this, this editorial shows both black, black and white photographs of models in plaid jackets and coats naturally posing against these, either these, these really lar- either large chemical smoke stackers in the background. One shows that two models atop a leveled construction site Another has a more pastoral image of a woman, a model near a plot of grass with a train humming by and a house in the far corner. But again, classic fall coats in soft browns, plaids, tweeds, herringbones. And it's really the background that tells the story. Sure, there's something quixotic about, you know, a pretty blonde model in a timeless red tartan um, right in front of a smokestacker, but it's really, it's really the background that, and it's the architecture that really enforces the clothes. And yet in another, you have, so you have this model and she's, she's in this woven coat walking past the train, a small brick, brick house I'd mentioned before. You have the two, these two women in cinch coats, cinch brown coats that almost match this leveled construction site. So the garments featured, um, which are from the latest collections of the people's owned garment industry, are in a way they're these garments are universal. They they convey something transient in all. They're in all places, but they're at one place at the same time. So here we have industrial, residential, and architectural landscapes creating, again, a storied feel. It's the context that makes the clothes, not the clothes themselves. Now, in a fall 1974 issue of Zibylle Arno Fischer, again, he was one of the most prominent architects of East Germany, uh, photographs the editorial Mode im Jungen Berlin, or Fashion in Young Berlin. Now this shows two models with curly cropped hair in graphic floral maxi dresses against a, a nighttime cityscape against the backdrop of Berlin or East Berlin. Here you see the latest architectural developments all lit up for what looks like a rather bustling evening with cars zooming by. And it's quite a timely editorial because East Berlin at the time was envisioned as the urbane representation that could compete with the West. During the latter half of the 60s, there was a massive architectural expansion of the East Berlin city center, which was the capital of the GDR. Arno Fischer photographed models on the roof of a city hotel in Berlin in front of the background of this newly urbane center. Now the dresses the dresses model the dresses modeled are quite nice. Typical of the 70s long flowy simple geometrical florals. There's nothing stately about them. I wouldn't even call them glamorous. They're feminine. Um they're celebratory but they're informal. And it's hard to even de- to define what kind of city this could be that they're in if you didn't know it was East Berlin because I sure as hell didn't know when I was looking at it. It just looks like a young metropolis bustling with, you know, towering, shimmering architecture. And nothing particularly conveys socialist modernism. It's too dark to see if there's carved murals. There's no monument. Um, There aren't any any ambitious looking brutalist structures. There's no towering residential complexes, AKA Plattbauten. It's all too dark. 
There's none of that. This could be, I would contend, this could, but I'm not an architectural historian, but I would contend, based off of everything we've talked and researched about, that this could be any modern city west of the Berlin Wall. Now, photographer Roger Mellis, uh, in 1960, he also had an editorial called Polyester Knits. And this features the latest polyester styles, sidebar synthetic fabrics were the cr- at the crux of the East German fashion industry and were constantly promoted and being worn. And we're going to talk about that next month. Back to the story, Roger Mellis, Polyester Knits, 1960 editorial. So this photo shows two models in pantsuits with wide pockets, wide belts, against prefabricated concrete and a prefabricated concrete apartment building, aka a Plattbaute. The wide geometric, wide geometric patch pockets and collar detail fit almost like a puzzle piece into these spacious bar-shaped balconies you'll find next to the at on the Plattbauten. In Sibylla's sixth issue for 1970, photographer Günther Rössler created an editorial, editorial Mode rund um den Alex. Side note, I know that I'm skipping back and forth, but these are general notes. This isn't going to be as chronological as some of the other episodes have been. So Mode rund um den Alex, or Fashion Around Alexander Platz, features perspectives from a sidewalk and and you can also see in the distance the Berlin television tower, which I'm sure you've seen in pictures or been to. And that substructure is quite visible. The architecture and the streets of East Berlin really became an ever-present backdrop for photographers. And in a time where there's a lot of pushback about the quality, availability, and modernity of the clothes to shop in the GDR, in stores throughout the GDR, these photographs must have probably conveyed or reinforced a sense of urbanity and intrigue into the fashion itself. They told a different story and with the growing amount of complaints, you you wouldn't really, I mean, with that, that growing amount of complaints with the clothes, it's it's important, but also they're still in a way glamorizing the fashion with the architecture. So again, it's the context that makes the clothes happen. So on to this exercise. So we're going to look at fashion and architecture in conversation without looking, without thinking about its political or historical context. So we've assessed how socialist modernism in Germany and functionalism in Germany were integral to the Republic. They were integral in showing parts of East German fashion photography. They were integral to defining the state as a nation that was urbane, fresh, and successful. We've looked at the role of fashion photography and architecture, as I'd mentioned, and you'd find that this is not just an east this is not just an east block countries i think especially in any western capital capitalist country the relationship i would surmise between fashion architecture is systemic in any politicized economy state nation or country so we can't really ignore 
the international trends happening in both fields. While you have socialist realism, which was ever-present and ever-present style of architecture in the 60s and functionalism, you had in the 60s, you had Dior's sack dress and you had those types of silhouettes available in East Germany. And it's not to say that women, again, women in East Germany were closed off from Dior. Um, You had a lot of you had the garment industry often imitating or doing reappropriating designs from the West onto the East. So you have a similar trend of this Dior sack, like these roomy, these roomy sack dress constructions. So while I was researching this, I I tried to look at the visual relationship between fashion and architecture. So I looked at Cosmos Kino the movie theater I, t- I talked about previously, with its wide rectilinear building flanked with variegated blue, black, yellow, and ble- beige bricks. That's a mouthful. And throughout the structure. And you have an all-glass entryway at the front. The second story is a cylind- cylindrical top. So this building goes up in 1961. For comparison, if we look at... S- fashion illustrations from 1962, which was, uh, no, 1960, sorry. This was taken from an operetta that was done in Leipzig, and the operetta was all about a fashion student working for an international competition or international in terms of Eastern Bloc international competition. So these sketches, which were featured in Zabilla, show one model with a skirt with chunky graphic chunky um, geometric florals with thick outlines and then another image of a sack a woman in a sack suit and then a pillbox hat now if we were if we were to take all of the political the political context out of it you can still see that there are you know similarities in the style the shapes are the same whether it's a bar-shaped building a towering rectilinear rectilinear glass entryway or cylindrical second story all of these fit into and fit with the sack suit and pillbox hat all are spacious boxy and convey a sense of modern modernity and ease ornament is reserved for flat stylized patterns so the colorful bricks that you see on the building are very similar to the flat stylization of the graphic patterned from the thickly outlined florals in the second outfit. And again, those images will be available on Monday in the link description. Now let's look at another comparison. Cafe Moscow, um, erected in 1961. It's a two-floor wide rectangular building, uh, pretty uniform in its shape, but features a perforated honeycomb panel and a front entrance accompanied by a highly stylized mural of rounded forms. Now, if we look at a 1962 issue of Praktische Mode, you come across a slew of dresses. One features a graphic floral pattern similar Uh, One features a graphic floral pattern and has a similar busy energy of the graphic structure and the rounded lines that you would find in Cafe Moscow's mural. 
In another fashion photograph, you see a gradient striped dress with horizontal shapes. And this almost echoes the similar linear movement of the honeycomb perforated slab. Now I'm sure we could go on. And I'm sure we could draw similarities in the 70s and 80s. For an example, there was a renaissance of colorful DIY knitting pattern design and sewing in, seven, in the 70s GDR, partly because it was on trend, another part because it was economically efficient and there were severe shortages of garments, sizes, and unnecessary surpluses in the state-owned clothing stores. So DIY was really a vehicle for personal expression, but also for survival. At the same time in the 70s, there was a rampant construction going on, a lot of high-rise Plattbauten, which created a gray landscape. But then you had these really prismatic murals that provided color and life and a dynamicism to unify it all. So if we were to compare, you know, prismatic murals celebrating the socialist spirit with these colorful DIY fashions, I, you know, I wonder what we could, what we could come up with. But in terms of the research, this would require photographs from personal collections or photo albums of everyday people in their DIY-made garments, as well as numerous issues of pommel from the 70s. And that is where my research has its limitations. Or it'd be great to look at thriving East German punk culture of the 80s and the increase of these decrepit, often neglected buildings within the East Berlin landscape, now an East German landscape. Now, in light of a lot of the rising debts and economic decline in the 80s, many buildings became dilapidated in a way and really showed a different aesthetic and reality of the GDR, just as the punk scene was showing. So it's interesting to look at the idea of dilapidation within buildings and then within these gritty, um, purpose purposely deconstructed punk style. Sidebar, if you're into punk, I'll be doing a whole episode on East German fashion, punk fashion in episode five. So that was a mouthful. That was a lot take or leave this exercise. I thought it was a really fun takeaway um, to thinking about political and historical contexts and to see what you're left with when you just think about it in terms of the clothes in relation to the structures. And I challenge you to do this in your moments of boredom. Maybe you're trying to escape another black hole of infinite social media scroll. And this is one way to do it. So homework for you. Picture that if you came from another planet, never heard or understood anything about political histories and languages and culture and design on planet earth, and you just looked at the buildings in relation to the people in or near them and how they relate or how they don't relate. What are they escaping? And visually, how are they both inescapable from their own environment? So a lot of th deep thoughts. Uh, please make sure to check out the blog on Monday. And I'd also like to just give a huge, huge thank you to all of my listeners, literally all over the world. We are now at a total of 986 plays. I really had no idea that I could get people this interested in something so niche. 
but I just love the demographics and I want to share them with you. We've got people from the States, Germany, naturally, but we also have people everywhere from Denmark, Hungary, Argentina, Singapore, Slovakia, the Philippines, India, Vietnam, Tanzania, Albania, and Venezuela, and more. And I just want to thank you so much for listening. And as always, please make sure to follow us or me on C Nickel on that Instagram account. And please leave a note if you're a listener and I'll definitely add you so that you can stay tuned with any content I have on that channel. Also check out the blog. I'm always there for feedback. So feel free to comment on any episodes or themes you'd be interested in or any articles you found you thought would be cool. And finally, danke and good night. And I will see you in a few weeks for our episode specific our episode specifically focusing on textiles, synthetics. We're going to go all about synthetics in East Germany for the month of October. Vielen Dank and good night.